0: Welcome to the learning Two podcast, the podcast about the learning to global events, a conference for teachers by teachers. On this podcast, you will enjoy stories about learning to as well as core reflections on the many learnings that have resulted from our events. Hi, welcome back to the learning Two podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she her and hers. After an extensive break away from the show, we come to you, valued listeners, with some important news. If you are on Twitter, you may already be familiar with the L2 Pub PD. It's back Tuesday, November 22nd, facilitated by Leanne Lavender. So if you are following us on social media, you'll hear more about ways that you can connect with educators from around the world. You can head over to our show notes to find out more about our PubPD hashtag. It's hashtag L2PubPDEDU. Again, that's Tuesday, November 22nd. Also, in very big news, L2 Asia, an in-person event, is back. Coming to you November 2023 on the 3rd and 4th hosted by the International School of Bangkok. There will be a call for presenters interested in leading the learning at that event soon. So watch our social media channels for more on that. You'll be able to find all of our handles over in the show notes. Today, we are turning the clock back to the year 2018 to check in with former L2 leader Michael Bycraft. So what you are about to hear is his amazing learning to talk. After the talk, you will hear more from Michael about some of the behind the scenes thinking that went into this talk and his reflection on it as it stands today. In the show notes, if you would prefer to watch the talk, you will find the link to it. Enjoy.
1: Thanks everybody. I'm Mike. Um, I want to talk about weird and when I think about weird, that's pretty weird. Okay, um, but that's me. Uh, I was born with one hand, Uh, it's called Poland Syndrome, it's a long story. Uh, It makes baby pictures instantly recognizable though, which is nice. And weirdness, weirdness is a little bit different, and some people, well, you know, they think it's a bad word, but it's not. I mean, Really, weirdness is fantastic, right, odd. I'll take that, maybe not the the witchcraft part, but. We'll, we'll avoid that. Um, but weirdness is, is a lot of things, and it's a lot of things about me. You know, weirdness is funny. Um, there's, <laughs> there, there's multiple games like that you can find. I found that this summer. I bet I'd, I bet I'd probably beat most of you at that game. Um, <laughs> but weirdness to me is important, because it should be funny, and it should be engaging. But weirdness can also be beautiful, and it can pop up in already extraordinary moments, and make them even better and more memorable. Uh, That's my daughter, by the way. They probably figured that out. Um, So weirdness for me is a lot of things. And I I didn't even know I was weird for a while, and I didn't know if it was good or bad or or what that even meant. But one of the first times I really thought about my weirdness was in Thanksgiving. And I was in second grade, and I was in Miss Taylor's class way back in 1984 and in the United States. November means Thanksgiving, right? And Thanksgiving means turkey. And if you've been in second grade, you've probably created a hand turkey, right? Yeah, you already see where this is going. Um, (laughs) So you put your hand on the paper, and you trace it, and you make a turkey out of it. So it's great. Um, Yeah, no biggie. So I was working really hard on my hand turkey, and and I thought I was a pretty good artist. I was one of those kids that really needed approval from my teacher. So I was tracing it, and I hear from the kids sitting next to me, Mike's turkey looks weird, and they all giggle. And I looked down, I looked at my turkey. It doesn't look weird. I looked at everybody else's turkey. Mine does look a little weird. I don't know if you've seen turkeys before, but they don't look like that. Um, So I tried to make it normal. Um, It was not successful. Uh, It it was. And so Miss Taylor came around, she's a great teacher, and she, as soon as she saw it, she kind of paused, and I think she had that realization that we've probably had as teachers, sometimes. And the kid, same kid, <sighs> said, I told you it looks weird. And so she grabs it and looks at it, and she said, well, it does look a little weird. That's okay. And she put it in her pile, and that was it. And it wasn't a teachable moment, and we didn't read stories about it, it just, it was weird, and that's okay. And the next day I came to school, and there was a bulletin board with all our turkeys on it. And, and you could see mine, and it stood out. And I thought, oh, that's not so bad. Um, and I would like to say that after that, my life was just smooth sailing. <laughs> and I was prom king, and Captain Atkinson. <laughs> <the Hamilton>. No. <laughs> no. Um, and I try to figure out why. Why do people always still look at me weird? Why do they... Uh, you know, why are they treat me different, picking me last for sports? And I'm wondering if, if maybe it's a representation thing. We talk about representation a lot. So I want you to think of somebody in film or TV with a disability, some character. You've probably seen a few. You got one? Let me share your mind. <sighs> He's the guy on the right, by the way. Um, that's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, if you don't know. And he had a very shiny nose, right? And all the other reindeer, used to laugh and call him names, you, you know, right? And so Rudolph, it's, it's, it's normalized that he's excluded, and it's okay, and, but it's not okay, right? And he saves the day, he saves Christmas, and then all the reindeer love him. What a great story. But it's not at all, it's a terrible story, because it says that all I needed to do to find acceptance and love for my peers is to save the largest holiday on earth. <laughs> That's it, all I had to do is save Christmas. Um, And then I'd find redemption. But with Rudolph, you know, what if Rudolph has asthma? Or a bum leg? Or sickle cell anemia? Or anxiety? Or a million other things? Does he find his redemption? Is that even optional for him? Is my disability only valid when it helps someone else? So think about who you thought of. Was it a love interest in the hero of the story? It probably wasn't. There's a few, and we're getting better. Um, But there's mostly stereotypes. That one's particularly resonant with me. Um, So, yeah, Captain Hook. But people with disabilities were not superheroes and were not villains, mostly. We're pretty average. 15% in the world, one in seven. There's more than seven people in this theater. So there's probably, I'm not the only weird one. Um, and that's a lot of us. It's a lot of our kids. It's a lot of our students. So what do we do? How do we do that? And I've got a couple things that I think would really help. And the first is make the weird part of class. This is a prosthetic my design students uh, and I are working on. It's for me. It's a pretty great class. We 3D print it, we design it, they take measurements. And it's instantly a part of class and it, it normalizes as normal as I can be, but it makes it something that can happen. It's a valid part of my identity. Why wouldn't it be? And the kids see that in class and acknowledge that. And another great thing you could do is just show off your weird. I know it's there. I know it's in a lot of you. Maybe you really like My Little Pony, or you collect sneakers, or whatever you're into. That's awesome. Make it a part of class. And challenge those stereotypes because I'm Captain Hook, who's around power tools all day. And I teach my student. I'm the one-handed guy in the makerspace with the shop, which there's a lot to unpack with those statements and a lot of stereotypes. Um, because honestly, we don't know who we're gonna inspire. We don't know who needs to see that. You know, and, and it really helps our children see things and maybe start to look past those stereotypes. Uh, because really, when we personalize our learning, We create something that's unique and beautiful, and everyone can do that. It's unique and beautiful and weird, just like my turkey. Thank you.
0: And now, welcome to a different stage, our podcast platform. Here's Mike.
1: My name is Mike Bycraft. I currently teach at Korea International School, where I teach makerspace, design, and robotics to middle school and high school kids. I'm on Twitter at M.A. Bycraft. Reflecting on that learning to talk, that was a great experience. I talk a lot, and I'm enthusiastic and excited and probably too excited. So I was kind of all over the place, and I came into that, and I did my first draft, and I did it in front of Brandon and I think some other people, and it it was like 12 minutes long. It was just way too long. I tried to do too much you know a good talk is is succinct and and i don't do succinct well so i got a lot of really positive feedback and hey this this could get edited this could bring down what are you trying to say here um and it was it was super helpful to have everybody kind of work on that with me and say you really got to edit this like what are you trying to say focus on here's your first part right outline this this anecdote this personal experience this background talk about what's behind it, and then how do we move forward? And I think that really helped me. I uh, I just, it was hard. It's really hard to, to get up there and want to tell this story because you want to say so many things. And I think that I wanted to say too much. And so working with everybody there, I just went over and over. And it was great because it was such a good cohort. Like it was Trisha and Gary and... A bunch of other people who had really awesome things to say so seeing that work was just really inspiring and motivating to see everybody else work through it and I did a lot of work at night in my hotel rooms I didn't get a lot of sleep that week uh, between my my workshops and that talk but I think it I think it worked out well and then the second time we ran through it and that was a lot better a lot more focused It was really hard not using a script though, because I wanted to say so much, but having the slides in front of you and you could see the next slide on a monitor, that helped a lot too. I think that that tech setup really helped me to kind of have something like a cue that I knew was coming and say, okay, I see this slide, I'm gonna say these things. Next slide, I'm gonna say these things. So it wasn't really like memorizing a long talk, it was like memorizing 15 or 20 small talks. And I think that helped a lot in my head.
0: Mike, thank you for the the shout out. I agree with you. It absolutely was a tremendous cohort that year. Um, I was honored to share the stage with you. And I appreciate you mentioning, again, it's stressful getting up there on stage. And I think especially when you are sharing such personal anecdotes. So can you talk a little bit about how you have really developed the capacity, to share things in such a vulnerable
1: way this part i think was fun for me i like sharing personal stories i i like talking about my hand and how it affected me growing up and my experiences as somebody who's had a disability and and i didn't always think that that would be valuable or even interesting for people to hear so as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with my hand and my disability. And and it's almost become like a stand-up routine, talking about weird experiences growing up and just goofy stuff, living abroad, just shaking people's hands and, and how they look at you and when they're surprised. It's kind of fun. So for me, I think it wasn't so much vulnerable as, as a coping mechanism for me to make it humorous. and And maybe that's unhealthy. I don't know. <laughs> But, but for me, I really like sharing those stories. And I think it's a lot easier to be vulnerable about a physical disability than other things because society doesn't persecute people often for physical disabilities. You know, some of my peers at those talks who talked about being a person of color or somebody who is gay, that's a big deal, right? Like you get fired for jobs, you get passed over. We know there's a lot more... Heavy stuff going on. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't have bad experiences because of my hand, but I felt like a lot of my peers were so much more vulnerable than I was. And, you know, those things are deep and personal. And I didn't, I don't know, maybe, maybe my, I, maybe my thing's the same. I just don't see it that way. Um, so seeing my peers out there really putting themselves and talking about their experiences as an educator and growing up and the issues they faced due to their sexuality due to their ethnicity I don't know it just it felt a lot heavier than me so I was like okay I got to I got to bring it for this these these folks are really sharing some heavy stuff and I always kind of gravitate towards humor and I think that if people are laughing about it for me that's that's a healthy thing so I wanted to kind of approach it that way so I felt that that it was okay to be vulnerable because so many other people were working so hard and contributing so much. And I was just kind of like doing this funny stand-up routine about my hand. Maybe. I don't know. That's that's kind of how I saw it, though.
0: Something that um, I think is maybe important to think about when you're delivering a talk or you have a, a keynote or, again, you have a live audience at that scale is to prompt yourself to just sit with the notion that, the audience might leave with just one question. So as listeners, as future viewers are watching the talk, what's one question that you hope they might leave your learning to talk with and why?
1: This is a really good question. Um, I'm excited at the concept of people continuing to look at my talk years and years from now. I don't know if it's quite that popular, but I'm excited for the idea that, that people would kind of keep hearing my story and I think the main thing I want them to consider is not that the hand turkey assignment's bad, because it's not bad, right? No teacher's going to plan for that. No teacher's going to say, okay, we're going to do this, this lesson, and we're going to draw our hands, and, oh, man, I got a kid with no hands. I got to throw out this assignment. Like, don't throw out the assignment. The assignment's valid. My turkey's valid, too. It just looks different. You know, in my talk, I talk about what Ms. Taylor said, and she said, hey, yeah, it does look a little weird, and that's okay. And that's what I really want is for us as educators to consider the work our students do and how it might look different than our expectations. But that represents where a student's coming from, and that's really valid. And I think that makes it cool, right? It doesn't have to look like everybody else's. I think as teachers, we should really be open to alternate assignments. Maybe not like assignments, sorry, like an alternate projects, like the way our students Come up with something that puts their personal spin on it. That's really valuable. I don't want 20 projects that look the same. That's boring. I want to see 20 projects that represent what my kids are bringing to the table. And if that's what they look like or where they're from or their background or their gender or their sexuality or their race, that's great. And that's what I want. And I think that as educators, sometimes we get really hung up in what we think things should look like. But it's not about that. It's about seeing value in the student's process and the work they're doing and how cool that is and how unique that is. And, you know, when I talk about my experiences as a person with disabilities and how that affected my school, I, you know, I'm just one person. That's just one story. And there's a lot of different stories. And all those stories are important. And all your kids' work is important, no matter what it looks like. And I think that when we allow our students freedom to create stuff their way, one, they're going to be more passionate about it and be more excited about it. And it's going to look better. But two, that it's it's cool. It's great. And another student see that work and might feel empowered and say, wow, they brought so much of this to the table. Kind of like with these learning two talks, right? All my peers brought such good stuff that it helped make my work better, too. And I think that's what I that's the thing I really want people to take from my talk is that consider all the work from your kids and what it looks like and what it is and how good that is, even if it's different than what you thought it might be.
0: Thank you, Mike, for sharing your time, your expertise, your stories, and your reflection with us. Listeners, to watch the talk in its entirety, you can head over to our show notes. Hope to hear more from you and connect with you on social media. Take care.